0: Welcome to this new Tech Captains episode. So, this week with Gareth, we welcome Laura Burnett, who has been working in tech for many years. Laura is currently head of delivery at Mate Tech. Uh, we'll come to it in a few seconds, making sure technical projects are being delivered in time and according to requirements. But, uh, Laura, how are you today? Uh,
1: yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. So, so Laura, you, you currently work at Mate Tech, as I just mentioned. It's an organization of almost 400 people, according to LinkedIn at least, uh, building tech solutions for the public sector, such as the Ministry of Justice, the National Health Service, and, and so forth. So, I, I'll go directly to the core with you. Like, we usually have very technical people in the call uh in the in the podcast as guest and what how would you explain your job to an 8 year old
1: oh good question uh so as you said made tech uh, um, sort of delivering services to the public sector uh which i think is a a really great place to be um it means that the work that we um do and the solutions we build are generally working towards um good of the pub you know of the public and it's things that I might use or you might use, so that's really um, sort of really nice to work on. Um, my role specifically or, or sort of as a delivery manager was very much focused on making sure that our teams have everything they need um, in order to sort of surprise and delight um, our clients and also the, the end users, which is obviously citizens um, in this scenario. Um, so that might be uh, unblocking uh, unblocking things, removing dependencies, or it might be helping a client to really understand how they deliver on a, a need that that is um, that they have.
0: So, so would you say you're a project manager or you're more than that?
1: Um, yeah, I think um, it's, it's sort of... The cross between project manager and scrum master. Um, So, working um, towards the uh, working with a little bit more budget and um, constraints than a a pure play, sort of scrum and agile um, environment may always have. Um, but very much using the, the principles of agile and iterative development, and um, you know, lean practices and user centered design practices to constantly review and adapt as as we're developing.
0: I see. And then how did you how did you end up in such a role? Because your your background is in microbiology, pathology, pharmacology. Like, how did you end up working in tech companies?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so as you say, I, I did a degree in microbiology and my first job after graduating, I worked for a scientific publisher. Um, it was all online and I started off kind of uh, writing articles and working with their uh, marketing customers to, um, to sort of develop the advertising that we had on the website. But from speaking to the customers and then also the website users started to identify things that could be improved on the the website um, and either services that we didn't have or services that could be better. So I then became involved with the IT department and started to look at ways that we could better serve the needs of our customers, um, moved into project management in is in that way and I must admit my first foray into project management I used to write these really long briefs really detailed specifications up front get the IT team to give me a quote of how long it would take force them to shorten their quote and then hold them to account when they didn't deliver it when I learned about agile and moved into that it was a it was a massive game changer so
2: and you've worked in um in the public and the private sector right so, what, what would you say? What are mm-hmm. the big differences between projects that you've worked on in in the public versus the private sector?
1: I think for me, um, it's actually a lot more progressive than people may may automatically assume, and and by that I mean, um, agile development is is very much baked into um, into the government digital services. Um, a service manual, which is you know how all digital products are supposed to be developed. All teams are cross-functional and will include user-centered design um, expertise within the team. So it means that our engineers will sit on user research sessions. They will have a real in-depth understanding of the user needs that we're trying to deliver to and how that aligns to the wider strategy of, of the product. And I think, for me, that was that's what I love about it. When I used to work with um, private sector clients in another agency, we'd often get designs thrown over the fence. Perhaps they, the design work would have been done by a completely different mm. agency. We'd never see the user research side of it. It was just purely, okay, here's this thing, go away and build it. So, Seeing the impact of that, I think, is um, it's kind of why I get up in the morning.
2: I would would never have expected you to say that the uk government is mandating really good practices like that that's uh, that's uh, that's great that's really good and
0: in terms of like your interaction with the with the developers like how does that work because obviously you know every stereotype comes from somewhere and i mean i'm a developer myself and you know like the interactions between the devs and the non-technical persons can sometimes be difficult because you don't speak the same language and your priorities are not necessarily the same. And you know, it's, it's like the all time joke that a developer never, never know, can never give an estimate on when it will be done. Right. Because there's too many uncertain factors, but you can't give that to the client. So, so how do you deal with all of this?
1: Yeah. So I think. I see my role um, as very much protecting um, the team and that might be both the developers and then also the non-development team. So holding um, external pressures from the business on delivery dates and can you commit to delivering something by now um, away from the team. But at the same time, you know, I do think it's important to have team accountability. Um, So the whole team is committed to, we um you know we we're working toward like um an example might be sometimes working in public sector you may be working towards a date which has been committed to by a ministerial um deadline you know there's something in legislation that means that we have to get a service live yeah. um in a certain time so then making sure that the the wider team understands what that driver is so that we're working towards it um as a collective team but then, you know, we're on the iron triangle. If the dates are fixed, it's the, um, the scope that you might be looking at changing and having open conversations about do we, do we have the right team shape in place? Is there anything else that we need as a team? How can we um, sustainably um, meet the commitments that we've made but without, you know, burning out and working Ooh. all hours
2: It's interesting what you said about um, you feel that you're sort of protective of the team and I think you know, my because I've worked with um, traditional project managers, and you know, recently it's all it's all been delivery managers. And I think it's it's interesting to see how you're very much more involved, day to day, hour by hour, with what the team's doing, making sure they have what they need. It's a it is a very different kind of relationship, isn't it, than what it used to be?
1: Definitely, and sort of my background, I use I, I've got a little bit of product and almost like business analysis as well. So I'm quite a curious person i like to understand you know the the way that we're delivering things and i've always been i've I've always had the ethos of asking asking questions even if my natural inclination is oh well that's a you know that's probably a technical question this might be a really stupid thing to ask um everyone else on the conversation is going to know the answer you know what this acronym is because I found that by doing that actually there might be somebody else in the in the room who isn't really sure on what it is and you know I've had associate engineers go I'm really glad you asked that I felt too embarrassed to ask but I didn't know what that thing is either (laughs) so I think that you know because I'm quite curious I like to understand what it is but it allows me to help with those conversations with clients
2: your science background is quite helpful there really isn't it yeah definitely I I,
1: I think there are a lot of um similarities between that that sort of way of thinking
0: if you had to like looking back at your career and everything that you've done and the decision you made or the things that happened because they happened without necessarily a a conscious decision like what advice you would give to to younger people or older people entering into the tech industry
1: yeah so I um I'm going to go back a little bit in history but I went to an all girls school and at that school um we weren't offered IT as an option at GCSE um they decided that that girls didn't really need to know that much about IT and you know I'm I'm not that no. old it's not that long ago in history so I never even knew that computer science or um, IT was a career path in itself. And I think I'm quite lucky that I've fallen into it. So I, if I had my time again, would probably have done a computer science degree, gone down that path earlier. You know, I found it something that I really enjoy, but um so, I think my advice particularly to to young women and girls is just about um exploring what is out there and understanding the the sort of um the i t and software development is a career that's open to everybody, not just to um sort of to to men
0: but that that's interesting what you say and and you bring in that topic so 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 I'll jump on it and that why do you think there's less women in tech like I did a computer science course at university and there were maybe five to ten percent, you know, girls in the class. So obviously later on for companies, it's very hard to hire women because there's just not enough. So it's it's just, you know, the the, the top of the funnel is, is empty. It's dry. The source is dry. So like, how do you get more, more people interested at the beginning to choose that as a career path when they're young? You mentioned school, what you had, do you think it's still the case today that the schools are still blocking uh, girls to get interested into that kind of career, or you think there's something larger at play?
1: I I would assume that um, you wouldn't have the same experience that I did, where it wasn't even an option. Yeah. Um, I think you know, there is a much wider focus on STEM careers and and women in technology. So I I would hope that that isn't the case anymore. But I think, you know, there are still quite um, traditional values that sometimes are are kind of um, brought up. And um, I think it's still, I obviously don't know any actual statistics, but I think it's still the case that women are much more likely to end up in caring and nurturing careers and engineering and more science-focused and technology-based careers are seen as more masculine. So I think there's that education piece um, to do from an early age. Things like having um, more um, computer games appeal to to young girls as well as young boys, for example. I I think there's, there's things there that can be done and then I think, you know, people like myself is actually getting into schools, talking to young people, explaining the opportunities that are there. Um, and then from a, a an employer's perspective, um, you know, looking at things that can be done. So at MayTech, Tech, we have a um, uh, an apprenticeship scheme. Um, it was previously an academy. We're now launching it as apprenticeship. Um, and we've been um like historically that has been about 50 50 splits. So it's a really Mm -hmm. good way of us bringing in, um, grassroots, um, and helping with diversity at that level, not always recruiting from people who have a a more traditional um, computer science background, but looking at other avenues to, um, sort of develop our own talent. And then, you know, the other thing is looking at continued coaching and mentoring. Um, you know, perhaps when, um, You know, if if a woman has a career break to go and have children, for example, what can be done to to allow them to um, reenter? I know that technology careers and engineering careers require an awful lot of self-study, upskilling and keeping on top of um, the latest developments in technology. And if a an employer can provide time for that learning and development within the um, within the working day, then that reduces the risk of young mums falling behind because mm-hmm. they can't do as much of that study for example so i think mm-hmm. there's there's lots that can be done i
2: mean it's interesting we um you're the third woman we've had on on this um podcast and we've got into the topic like ron just asked you the question about you know why aren't there more women in tech and i'm i'm actually gobsmacked that at a, at a girls school. Which doesn't sound—it was an awfully long time ago, because you're not that old, Laura. Um, they weren't even offering that. That's just, that's amazing to me. The apprenticeship scheme your company has—I don't know if you can you can you tell people for the podcast—is there a, where they can go if they're interested in in joining that?
1: Oh, good question. Um, I think. The best option to do is to go to the Maytech website and um, I think there's a link to sign up there when we next sort of release the next cohort. Um, so, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. And uh, Laura, so we, we have a small uh, tradition in the podcast that the guest introduces a book that they really liked. Um, so you send in advance a few books. So you th- you seem to be an avid reader. Uh, and the one we selected from your list is a uh, product roadmaps, uh, which was a relaunch, you, you said, by Todd Lombardo and the, the products on my relaunch by Todd Lombardo, uh, among others. Uh, and it's about how to set direction while embracing uncertainty. So I'm, I'm very interested in this book. Like, what, what can you tell us about it?
1: Yeah, so. I mentioned before that I've got sort of a bit of interest in product and sort of product thinking as well and I think this um this book is much more aligned to the outcome um sort of outcome focused development so thinking about um rather than being feature led and you know you might say okay um I'm running my my website and I want you Mr um developer to go and put a, a button on this website um, actually it's not the button that you that you want you want more clicks you want people to go through to whatever the page is that the buttons focus so that would be a, an example of like the outcome you want is more clicks um, the button is the feature and i think traditionally you know you'd see these big gantt charts and waterfall um delivery plans that had a lot of dependencies on and and this book is more about um, focusing on outcomes, considering the the cone of uncertainty that you might have. So actually, the further away you get, the less certain you are on on the work. So you know, having a, a wider planning frame, the further away you you go. Um, and there's a lot of really helpful practical tools about um, different approaches to prioritization, for example, or how you can validate that the um, the features that you want to develop will help you meet the strategic objective that you're working towards so I find it a really helpful book for helping you to turn an overall company strategy and um, you know p- priorities into tangible tasks that that we can deliver as a development team. Um, yeah
2: so um, one of the things I noticed on, on the website um, that you mentioned that you have a, a focus on helping the public sector modernize legacy tech, which I'm sure is a, well, almost never ending job, right? Um, but from a delivery perspective, what do you think the hardest thing is about replacing older tech?
1: Oh, that's a really difficult question. Um, I think-
2: I mean, do these, okay, maybe I'll add a bit more info. They do they do Do you tend to be doing more wholesale replacement or is it more piecemeal? Cause I'm guessing there might be some really big systems involved, right?
1: Yeah, I think um I think that that yeah definitely there's a bit of a, a mix as to whether you need to replace an entire solution or not. I think a lot of the um a lot of the work we've done particularly in local government is to help them sort of move away from these big expensive sort of SaaS solutions that they get um really locked into. Um, and the prices go up and up and what they get for it is, is just atrocious um, and instead starting to move to a a model where they can have like an open source platform that they can run themselves and, and sort of do so for in a much um, more efficient way um, when it comes to sort of taxpayer and, and local authority budgets. Um, and I think from a delivery perspective, understanding you know, how much of it needs to be migrated is often a bit of a challenge. You know, do you need a like-for-like replacement? Are there some features and functionality which you use more than others? Um, Are there, you know, are there further user needs that could be being met if we architected something in a different way? Uh, So I think there's lots of questions that um, we can ask about the right strategy and approach as we um, sort of move into a, a legacy tech replacement project.
2: And are you seeing? So you mentioned um, open source. Are you seeing then a lot of movement? I'm guessing in the UK. I don't know if you work outside the UK as well. Are you seeing a lot of movement away from legacy to open source in the public sector?
1: Um. Yeah. So I. Yeah. We we only currently work with um UK based okay. um uh, companies. I only work in the UK. Um. But. Again, on the um the GDS service manual, um open source technology and considering open source is one of the, the key practices of um mm-hmm. sort of the, the the service manual. But that being said, you know, there are still times when it makes more sense to procure something off the shelf and you don't always want to um develop something just for the sake of it and you know not all um public sector departments have the budget um, to have uh, an internal development team running every single service and products that they might want. So, you know, a lot of the digital transformation strategy work we do is actually looking at, you know, those buy versus build um, hmm. considerations and actually what is the right approach for the, the client in that scenario.
2: And as Ron mentioned, you know, he and I are both um, CTOs. Um, so we work with delivery people. And I wonder from from your perspective, what do you think that senior tech leaders don't really understand correctly about what you do? You know, what, what is the sort of, what are the misconceptions, do you think?
1: Oh, I don't, I'm not sure I've necessarily come up against that much um, kind of conflict or um, misconception. Um yeah, I can't,
2: I can't think of anything, sorry. Oh, no, that's all right. That's all right. Um, I mean, that's good then. I mean, I guess it means that, um, you know, we're, we're kind of in, we're sort of in tune, I think, maybe perhaps in uh, tech leaders now with, with sort of m- more modern delivery practices. So it, it's, it sounds like it's working quite well. Um, and I guess the last question I would ask is, so you're, I think you, you, you scaled Agile. I'd never even heard of scaled Agile until I came to work at the company, but now, what, what are the big differences between scaled and regular Agile for people who don't know?
1: um i think i think if um if you can organize um your technical teams um into product you know product teams where each product team owns the end to end delivery and they can manage the front end the back end the getting the service live i think that is um always a great sort of direction of travel to have as an organization because it really empowers those teams but in reality that isn't always feasible um or at least feasible in the immediate sense and so you may have another department which is doing integration and testing and perhaps you've got a security or a devops team humanity infrastructure and the um The permissions that you have set up in your in your environment and I think when you start to get these levels of complexity at um, enterprise level organizations and you're thinking about how those teams call upon those central resources and and sort of manage those dependencies then that's where you start to think about how you may have to scale agile and sort of agile ways of working Um, Obviously, there's quite a lot of specific frameworks that can be used, and there's also an awful lot of noise challenge friction that goes on in the Agile community around, you know, are scaled Agile frameworks actually Agile or not. Um, But I think the key thing for me is about having... Shared backlogs and visibility so that anyone at any time can see, you know, what's the overarching picture that we're working towards versus that of my team, being able to have the right meetings and sessions in place to think about, um, you know, sharing those blockers and dependencies and having those conversations and, you know, almost designing a solution that works for your organization to help the team sort of streamline and go fast um, or go fast, but still deliver the right level of. So it value. sounds
2: like, in a way, it's probably something that it becomes more suitable as the as the organisation becomes more complex, doesn't it? Really, and there's and there's more, yeah, more people involved.
1: Yeah, and I would still, at an organisational level, and perhaps this is where the, you know you you as a CTO come in, still be asking questions about can we simplify things further? Do we really need to scale agile, or can we, um, you know, can we? put more of this ownership into the development teams so that they can manage those um, manage those products and services end to end
0: that makes sense. that makes sense I mean uh, thank you Laura I mean it's very interesting and uh, I'm quite pleased we have our first non-technical and the head of delivery I didn't know about this role before to be honest so it's uh, it's even more interesting for me Gareth knew 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 about it uh, so thank you thank you for joining us today Thank
1: you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Laura.
0: Thank you. And for everybody listening, we will be back in two weeks. Bye-bye.